0: Father in heaven, we come into your presence. We love you, but we want to love you more. We want to love you with our whole heart, our whole mind, all of our strength. Father, we know that we're living in desperate times, and we know that we need more of Jesus. So would you come into this place? Would you open our ears and our hearts Would you give us eyes to see Jesus more clearly than ever before? Father, in the silence of our own hearts just now, we want to invite you, our King and our Maker, to speak to us this morning. Thank you, Father, that you want us in your Spirit. Thank you that you want to speak to us. Give us ears to hear this morning. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. It was one of those days when, as a six year old, things got a little disappointing at first. She was at her daycare, she was six years old, and she was supposed to go on a field trip to a farm that day. And it happened to be raining that day. So poor Simone, she was sad on that day as she wasn't able to go to the farm, but instead they rescheduled her field trip to go to the local gym. Well, that wasn't so bad. She went to the gym, and as they were waiting in line, one of the coaches at the gym recounts just noticing something special about this girl. There she was in line, and, and she saw what the other gymnasts and people in the gym were doing, and she began to imitate them as if it were no problem at all. You see, Simone is just, I think she was four or five years old. She began to teach herself to do backflips off of her mailbox. At her parents' house. Her parents said we just couldn't keep her still. She was constantly jumping and flipping and doing all kinds of stuff. Never any formal training, but it was just natural for her. Well, immediately the gym recognized that there was something special in this girl as they let her go out on the mats and do some different things. And they sent home a note to her parents saying... We would like for either Simone to join our gymnastics school or our cheerleading school because we believe she has potential. She chose to join gymnastics, and the rest is history. Pretty well-known history now as Simone just went to the Rio Olympics. I have a picture of her as a younger girl, and then a picture of her with her various medals. She is now the most decorated American gymnast, and some say the greatest gymnast the world has ever seen. She won four gold medals this year and one bronze medal at the Rio Olympics. That's the most gold medals that an American female gymnast has ever won. And it's been years since any gymnast has done something like that. An incredible athlete that when we look back to her as a girl, we can say, she was Destined for that. It was obvious that that was built into her. And I don't know if she recognizes it or not, but I believe that God gifted her for this. And I don't know if she's giving glory to God for it. I honestly didn't watch any of the Olympics, but I believe that God gifted her for that. Did you know that God has destined you for something very special? We've been looking at the book of Revelation chapter 3 at the Laodicean church. We've been poring over this for several weeks and maybe a month and a half now that we've been going over the letter to the Laodicean church in Revelation chapter 3. Go there with me to Revelation chapter 3. It's contained in verses 14 to 22. This is the last of the seven churches. Now we've seen as we've gone through the seven churches in Revelation that they each correlate to a period in history beginning from the apostles with that first church, and then marching on down through each of these churches represent a different time period in Christian history, prophetically. They were real places, but at the same time, they represent massive time periods in human history. The Laodicean church is a church, as we looked at it, it began in the mid-1800s, probably around the year 1844, and goes on until... Well, what's the next church after Laodicea? What's the eighth church? Does anybody know? I'm glad you don't because there's not an eighth church. Do you see how significant that is? Oftentimes we look at the church of Laodicea and we say, oh, those Laodiceans, they're lukewarm. Oh, those Laodiceans, if they could just get it right. But here's the thing. This is the last group of people in human history And friends, you and I are a part of the Laodicean church. So, as we read these warnings that Jesus gives, how he says, I know your works. I would that you were hot or cold, but since you're just lukewarm, since you're kind of going through the motions of Christianity, but it's not real, it's not passionate, it's not on fire for God, because of that, unfortunately, I'm just going to have to vomit you out of my mouth. It's making me sick. But thankfully, Jesus goes on to give those clear uh, opportunities for recovery for Laodicea. We saw it. Beginning in verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. We talked last week about that gold that comes through the refining process of the trials of our life, that Jesus allows those things into our life to benefit us, to grow us, to grow character in us that can fill us with peace and joy in the midst of any circumstance. And that can be one of the greatest witnesses that we can have on this planet. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed. We talked about Christ's righteousness and how it's only what Christ has done that can in any way fit us to stand before the throne in the end. It's only Christ's righteousness, and as we allow his blood to wash our robes of character, that we too can stand with white robes like this. Then it goes on to say that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. Now, I believe this is in reverse order. It's going following the the Hebrew thought pattern. And so here, the anointing of the eyes is really the first thing that all of us need as a part of the church of Laodicea. And that comes through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It opens our eyes and it reveals to us how naked, how really poor, how desperate we are. For Jesus in our lives. If you haven't yet seen that in your own life, if you feel like you're doing okay, if just coming to church and sitting in the pew, you don't feel a desperate need for Jesus, I want to encourage you more than anything else to plead for the Holy Spirit to open our eyes, to help us to see that we desperately need Jesus. Without Him, we're going to perish. And if we aren't constantly sensing our need for Jesus, then we're in big trouble. Jesus goes on to say, and we looked a little bit at this last week, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Look at this. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I have overcome and sat down with my Father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Jesus says, when you overcome this Laodicean state, when you get past this lukewarmness, this half-heartedness, when you jump in wholeheartedly with me, when you overcome, I will grant for you to come and sit down on my throne as I have sat down with my Father. Now thrones uh, back then weren't like some of the thrones where we pictured that you have just one person sitting there, but they were actually more like a long couch where a, a variety of people could sit and they could come to talk with the King. So Jesus invites us to this special fellowship in the very courtroom of heaven. He says, when you overcome, when you are a part of this group who follows the counsel to buy gold to wear the white garments, to have the eye salve. I will raise you up to be a part of the governance of the universe, to sit on the throne of the universe. And if you wonder what that looks like, read Revelation chapter 4 this afternoon. A beautiful picture of what the throne room of heaven is like. A glorious place where all power in heaven and earth is located. So we get to the end of Revelation chapter 3 and that's it. There's no eighth church. And this means that God intends for you and I to be a part of the last church. The church that takes the gospel to the whole world. Matthew 24, 14. Jesus promised us, he said, And when this gospel is preached to all the world, then the end will come. And God intends for you and I to be a part of that. Look at this incredible picture of this church if you go to revelation chapter 7 we looked at it before this is after they've gone through the great tribulation verse 9 says after these things i looked and behold a great number which no one could number of all nations tribes peoples and tongues could he have made it any more clear that every people group will have heard the gospel Every person is going to have the opportunity. Every nation, tribe, people, and tongue standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes. They have the white robes of character. They've been washed in the blood of the Lamb with palm branches in their hand crying and saying with a loud voice, salvation belongs to God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. What an amazing day that's going to be. Can you imagine what it will be like to stand on the sea of glass and to praise Jesus, saying, my salvation, this white robe that I'm wearing, it comes from the Lamb. It comes from Jesus. All the angels stood around the throne and the elders and four living creatures and fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, amen, blessing and glory, wisdom, thanksgiving, honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, who are these arrayed in white robes? Where did they come from? Who is this special group of people? Why are they here? Where did they come from? And I answered to him, Sir, you know, he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the what? Great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Friends, this is a group who overcomes in the midst of the most difficult and trying circumstances that this world has ever seen. These are those who come through the great tribulation and they've been relying on Jesus in the midst of that tribulation. But what gets them to this place? What brings them to this point? We skipped a few verses early in Revelation chapter 7. Go with me to Revelation 7 and verse 1. After these things, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. Sometimes as we look at the world today, and we look at what's going on in the world around us, we wonder, well, when will the Antichrist power rise up? And when will uh, these different laws be enforced that we know are coming? When will these things take place? And, and sometimes we assume that, that we're waiting for things to get bad enough so that Jesus can come back. Sometimes we think that we're waiting for these powers of evil to get together and to force something to happen, and then Jesus will come. Have you ever felt that way before? And pretty soon we begin watching the news and we begin looking at these things, and these are signs that Jesus has given us. They give us urgency. They help us to see that time is quickly coming to an end. But these are not the sign given in Matthew 24. What is the sign? This gospel will be preached to all the world as a witness, and then the end will come. And also, as we look here, we see why is it that these winds of destruction, the four winds coming from the four different directions, why is it the destruction isn't happening more on our planet than, than might be expected? because there's angels holding each of the four winds back. Today, when we look at what's taking place on our planet, we see hurricanes, we see uh, the Zika virus, we see earthquakes, we see people dying in shootings and all kinds of terrorist activity. We see all these things happening, and we say, look at all this tragedy. This points that Jesus is coming. And it does give us an urgency, a recognition of our need for Jesus. But all of these things would be so much worse if God wasn't holding back the winds of destruction. All of these things would be so much worse than we can even imagine. As you look at the world around you, we're not waiting for things to get worse in order for Jesus to be able to come back. Because it says that God Himself is the one who's allowed for destruction to be held back. Things would be a lot worse if God wasn't interposing So when a hurricane smashes into a city, don't claim that God sent that hurricane to that city. God may have allowed that hurricane to go, but it's the enemy and his forces that have whipped this world into such a condition that such things can never happen. God created a perfect planet. It's us who messed it up. It's sin which has created the catastrophes. And God may allow something to happen, and even when He allows it to happen, He may take responsibility for it. It may be seen as a judgment of God because He allowed it to take place. But God doesn't create these evil things that we see on our planet. God doesn't make people into mass murderers. It's appalling when we hear people claiming things about mass shootings in in gay nightclubs, saying that, that this was... God leading that person to do something like that. God doesn't intend for death and destruction and pain in this world. But God will allow it as we reject the outpouring of His Holy Spirit. Look at the next verse. It reveals what is holding these four winds back. Why God doesn't just let us reap as a planet what we have sown Verse 2 says, Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. I should hear some more amen. some, Some more excitement, I think, when we read something like this. Do you realize what God is saying? He's saying, I'm not going to let disaster come on this planet. I'm not going to let hurricanes take too many lives. I'm not going to let tornadoes and earthquakes take too many lives. Not until people have had the opportunity to receive Jesus. Not until everyone possible is sealed. What is this sealing talking about? What does it mean to be sealed? Go back with me to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1 talks about the sealing that takes place. Now, we know from the Old Testament that there's signs of his sealing in our lives. Uh, Ezekiel uh, talks about the Sabbath being a sign that it is God who sanctifies us. It also says that in Exodus chapter, I believe it's 30. But here we see how the sealing process actually takes place in Ephesians chapter 1. Paul here is talking to the church and he's praying for the church. But go to verse 13 and read with me this account. In Him you also trusted. This is talking about Christ. In Him you have trusted after you heard the word of truth. So there's been a hearing of the gospel. The the gospel has been preached or read by these individuals. You heard the word of truth and you trusted in that word of truth. The gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with what? The Holy Spirit of promise. It's through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that God's people are sealed. Now, the word sealed can mean different things. Today, we often think about... You seal a, a jar to, to protect the contents from spoiling. That's one form of seal, but the Greek here is more referring to the seal that was a stamp, a mark of authority that revealed whose this uh, whatever goods were and what was contained in them. So when we see these 144,000 representing God's people standing before the throne with the seal of God on their forehead, they're stamped with a mark of God on their foreheads. They're stamped with the character of God. They have the living representation of God. And how is it given to them? It's given to them through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It is through the Holy Spirit that you are sealed. And this makes sense, doesn't it? Because you know the character of God. You see it revealed through Old Testament laws like the Ten Commandments. You see it revealed through the life of Christ. And Paul summed it up in Galatians 5.22. He said the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's the Holy Spirit filling us that enables us to live a Christ-like life. So here it says you are sealed with the Holy Spirit who has given you as a promise. And then look at verse 14. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory? Who is the guarantee or the deposit? How many of you have bought a house before? When you go and you buy a house, I haven't had this experience yet, but and you give the deposit, does the deposit count against the total cost of the house? It's part of how, how big of a deposit you put in depends how much of a mortgage you're going to need afterwards, right? A deposit is part of the cost of something. Does that make sense? It's a down payment. It's a, a, it's, it's a part of the whole. So here, God says that the Holy Spirit has been given to you and the Holy Spirit is a deposit, a guarantee of that redemption that you're going to experience. It's that guarantee that you will be one of those who's standing before the throne of God. Like Jude chapter 20, uh, verse 24 says, with exceedingly great joy, standing blameless before the throne of God. That beautiful, joyful moment is promised to you and me based upon this guarantee that we have in our hearts, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This is what God is longing to do in your heart and my heart. He's longing to fill us with the Holy Spirit. It's such a beautiful thing. It's such a a life-changing thing. Last week, we talked about how God is able to lead us into trials and to fill us with joy in the midst of trials. Now, those trials can only be joyful to the extent that we are filled with the Holy Spirit. I love the story of a young man, Henry Wright White, uh, the son of James and Ellen White. He was on his sickbed. He had pneumonia. He was at the young age of 16, and he'd been somewhat sickly. He'd had some different ailments and problems. And here he was at the young age of 16, and he's about to die. I don't know how many of you have gone through a serious illness. You know what it's like to lay there and to to feel this suffering. You know what it's like to maybe watch a loved one go through cancer, to watch their body be torn apart by this disease. Maybe you've seen someone die of a serious disease. You know what it's like to suffer. Here, Henry was lying on his sickbed. And as he was lying there, his mom wrote these words about what took place. When Henry White, Our oldest son lay dying. He said, A bed of pain is a precious place when we have the presence of Jesus. When we are obliged to drink the bitter waters, turn away from the bitter to the precious and the bright. There he is, dying of pneumonia. He's in pain. And God gave him this preciousness, this joy. He was able to say, the, the bed of sickness is a precious place when Jesus is there with me." He went on to say, "To die so happy is a privilege." He was happy there on a sickbed, racked with pain, racked with pneumonia. He was able to say, "To die so happy is a great privilege." His very last words were these: "Heaven is sweet." heaven is sweet. He had that guarantee, that deposit. It had been placed in his heart and he said, I know that heaven is sweet. I'm already experiencing it right here in the midst of all the trials, in the midst of all the difficulties, in the midst of this pain. I know that heaven is worth it because Jesus is right here with me now. And this is what we need as Laodicea. Laodicea has a problem and that biggest problem is that Christ is pounding at the door of our hearts. He's outside the door of our hearts. We don't recognize our need for Jesus. We live in prosperous times. We live in times of freedom when it is so easy to follow Jesus and we don't recognize a lot of the time that we desperately need Him to come in. But what He wants to do In these times when the four winds are about to blow, He wants to seal your heart. He wants to actually come in and live inside of you to give you that guarantee, that deposit of what heaven is really like. Heaven isn't about golden streets, although they're going to be beautiful. Heaven isn't about mansions, although they'll be there. Heaven isn't about beautiful animals who won't eat you. Heaven is about the presence of Jesus. Heaven is about beholding the king in all of his beauty. Heaven is about adoring Jesus throughout all of eternity. Anything else would wind up so cheap and so empty. After billions of years, you wouldn't be satisfied by anything else except for the infinite God and an infinite loving relationship with him. But you don't have to wait. Jesus says, I'm standing at the door. I'm knocking, and if anyone opens the door, I will come into him, and I will dine with him, and he with me. This is a picture of close fellowship. The, the meal in the Middle East was a special time of fellowship. In fact, it also required a special level of trust between individuals, because at this meal, they would eat with their hands, if you've ever gone to a Middle Eastern country or, or if you've eaten Indian food, sometimes there's some uh, restaurants that actually have you eat with your hands. They would eat with their hands. So you didn't just pick some average Joe off the street and say, hey, you want to come over to my house and eat my food with your hands that have been who knows where? It was a time of trust. It was a time of close fellowship. If you shared a meal together, it meant that you were close friends. And when you go through a difficult circumstance... There's nothing like having a close friend with you. You know, when Leah was in high school, she loved to go on wilderness survival trips. And it's the funniest thing if you know her now. Because Leah would go into the wilderness, and she loved to live in the wilderness to survive off the land. She loved, uh, her parents are here today, and they could tell you, how much she loved to research equipment for wilderness survival, how she loved to make equipment for wilderness survival. And you know what it's like to be out there without even all that equipment. It's a dirty place. It's, it's, it's a, a place filled with just difficulties, really, to be out there. And it wasn't really beautiful wilderness from what I understand. It was above Bakersfield and the, near the Kern River. It wasn't this gorgeous place. Do you know why Leah loved to be there? If you talk to her today... She goes on backpacking and hiking trips, but that's not her favorite thing to do necessarily. But back then, she loved it. Why? Because she had close friends, several different close friends, some of her teachers that were friends, that were on those trips, and it made the time sweet. It made the time worthwhile. You've probably experienced this. There's probably places that you've gone, things that you've done, maybe when you were just beginning a dating relationship with a spouse or, or maybe just with a close friend that you had. And in that moment, even though you weren't enjoying whatever was going on around you, you were happy because you were together. That's what Jesus wants to give to you and me. He wants to give us that sweet fellowship That blessing of being together with Him. He wants His love to melt our hearts. He wants to fill us with His Holy Spirit. Do you realize of anything God could give us? He could have picked any gift in the universe. He could have chosen any kind of thing to give to you, but He chose to give you Himself. He chose to come as the Holy Spirit and to fill your hearts so that you can be filled with love and joy and peace. Don't let the devil sell you short of your inheritance. That is your right in Jesus Christ. Fight for it. Fight with Paul. Fight the good fight of faith. Say, God, I claim the fruits of the Spirit in my life. I claim love and joy and peace because as we are filled, as we are sealed with the Holy Spirit, God has something incredible in store for us. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews chapter 11, you read the story of all of these heroes of faith. One of my favorite chapters to read through. When I was First, going through a conversion experience, I read and reread this chapter, and then I began to listen to it every day until I had it fairly memorized. And just to read about these incredible heroes of faith and to think about the lives that they actually lived, the challenges, the trials that they faced, is an amazing thing. So, after you read Revelation four this afternoon, read Revelation eleven. I mean Hebrews eleven. Okay, so I wanted to go down to the end of the chapter though. In this chapter, it's probably listed your favorite Bible characters. Maybe it's not included here, but most of our favorite Bible characters are included here. You have Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Moses and Sarah and Jacob. Some of them maybe aren't our favorite characters either. We're surprised that they're here. Talks about David, talks about Samuel. All of these amazing heroes of faith throughout history. And then we come to the end of the chapter, and it says something challenging about each of these heroes of faith. In verse 39, it says, And all of these, having obtained a good testimony through their faith, they lived a faithful life. They relied on God in the midst of trials, in the midst of difficulties. They received a good testimony that they had relied on Jesus. All these, having obtained a good testimony through their faith, did not receive what was promised. They'd been promised the promised land. They'd been promised heaven. And yet, they did not receive it. Can you imagine? David, the one who was after God's own heart, the one who gave us all of these beautiful psalms, these things that fill us with faith in Jesus, he, Peter tells us in Acts chapter 2, is resting in the grave. David has not yet experienced heaven. David has not yet tasted and seen what heaven is like. Can you imagine? This man who is so filled with faith. It says here, they did not receive what was promised. Verse 40 tells us why. God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Sometimes we read through the Bible and we look at all of these heroes and we say, if only God worked like that today. If only I could be a hero of faith like that. God needs you more than He needed these heroes. God has a bigger plan for you, a bigger destiny for you than He had for these heroes. Do you see that all of these heroes who are listed in these chapters, it says they haven't yet received what was promised, but God has provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect. They shouldn't get to taste heaven without you. Let that sink in. We may look at David and say, wow, what a man of faith. We may look at Abraham and and wish that we had the faith that Abraham had, but God is calling you to a greater life of faith to impact the world in a more glorious way than Abraham did. Abraham is waiting in the grave, waiting for you and I and for him it's okay, it's just a sleep, it's but a moment. But you know who's really suffering in this more than anybody else? Is the friend of Abraham. God is the friend of Abraham. Jesus had that close relationship with Abraham and it it tells us that he was a friend of God. And can you imagine how anxious Jesus is He can't wait for that moment when he can come back. His friend Abraham, he's been waiting thousands of years to reunite with him. And he's wondering, will Laodicea wake up? Will they do whatever it takes to share the gospel with the world so that everyone can have the opportunity to receive me? I'm longing to pour out my Holy Spirit on them, to give them power to be witnesses. I'm wanting for them to go to the world. Will Laodicea step up? Will I step up? He has an amazing calling for our lives. He wants for us to represent his loving character to this world. Revelation chapter 18, in verse 1, tells us that something is going to happen. In Revelation 14, we find three different angels that come. The first angel, comes having the everlasting gospel to preach to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. And he says with a loud voice to fear God and give Him glory because the hour of His judgment has come. This is a message that's given by Laodicea, the people of the judgment. That's what the name Laodicea means. This first angel was given by the church of Laodicea. But not just the first angel, the second angel telling us that, that Babylon is fallen is fallen, telling us about this false spiritual movement that's going to take place. And the third angel's message warning us about the mark of the beast and not receiving the mark of the beast. All of these three angels are a part of what the Laodicean church is called to give to the world. If you haven't studied these before, I encourage you to study it. I'd love to sit down and study it more with you if you haven't gotten a chance to dive into those. But here in Revelation chapter 18, we find that That message hasn't completed the work. The message hasn't gone to the whole world. The glory of God hasn't been revealed to this entire planet. But in Revelation 18, verse 1, it says this, After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illumined with His glory. There's coming a moment when God is going to send renewed power through the outpouring of His Holy Spirit. And there's going to come a loud cry where the whole earth is going to be illumined with the glory of God. And God wants you to be a part of that. But Laodicea is going to have two groups. There's going to be the group who says, I'm fine with just sitting in church. I'm fine with just going through the motions. I'm fine with just confessing Christ with my mouth but not living it out. I'm fine with a a lukewarm life. I'm not all in, Jesus. And Jesus is going to keep pounding at their door as long as possible. But then there's going to come a moment when it's too late. There's going to come a moment when he has to do what he said he'll do and he'll vomit them out of his mouth. There's going to come a shaking to the church. And some people are going to be shaken out of the church. Hebrews 13 talks about the shaking that will come. But God is longing for you and I to receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. To let Jesus come in. To have intimate fellowship with Jesus. To become best friends with Jesus so that no matter what we go through in life, whether we're laying on the sickbed with pneumonia, we have a deposit in our hearts. We have a guarantee in our hearts. We have the joy of heaven in our hearts. We already have a part of our future reward living inside of us because we have Jesus in a real and tangible way. Friend, if this just sounds good, but you haven't experienced it as a living reality, please, don't be okay with that. Go to Jesus and plead with Him to pour out His Holy Spirit on you. Plead with Him to do what He's promised. In John chapter 14, Jesus said, I will pray the Father and He will send you another helper to be with you. He's promised that He Himself will plead with God to fill you with the Holy Spirit. So that you can have that intimate, close fellowship with Jesus. That will see you through any and every circumstance that you may face. And it's this that will give glory to God. Go back to Ephesians chapter 1. Here where it says that it's a deposit. in verse 4, uh, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 14. It says, Who is the guarantee or deposit of our inheritance? That, that beginning, that foretaste of what heaven is like. Until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, it brings glory to God. We shouldn't just want to be filled with the Holy Spirit so we can feel good, so we can have joy, so we can have love, so we can have peace. But when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, it will make us a mighty witness to this dark planet. And you think about it. Have you ever seen somebody going through a really difficult time and being able, like we talked about last week, to sing in the midst of it, to have joy in the midst of it? What kind of a witness, what kind of a testimony is that? You know, in China, there was a, a, a pastor of, of, of a house church. Now, in China, God can do amazing things in very short times. God can reach this world so rapidly when we yield ourselves to being used by the Holy Spirit. The gospel will go to every dark corner of this planet and it can happen overnight through the power of the Holy Spirit. We've seen it happen in China in rapid ways as the house church movement rapidly exploded to hundreds of millions of believers so quickly and during times of intense persecution. You and I live in freedom. The worst problem we face is for somebody to to reject us, or somebody, maybe our family, to, to mistreat us. They faced persecution. And one of the pastors there, he was placed in solitary confinement because he was going against the government's orders. He was promoting Jesus. He was educating people to read their Bibles and to follow Jesus. And so they took him and they, they beat him and they threw him into prison. And they took him and they put him in this place of solitary confinement. Totally dark in there. Blackness. No human voice. They would simply give him food and he had no interaction with any human being. Can you imagine what a place like that would be? Can you imagine the anxiety you might have or how distressing something like that would be? He's put in a place of torture. He's there for 365 days. When he came out of solitary confinement, he comes out. They said that his eyesight had dimmed because he'd been in the dark so long. He hadn't seen light in an entire year. Can you imagine what it would be like to begin to hear voices again? And in the midst of that, wouldn't it be easy to blame God and to wonder why God had let you have this experience when you had just been trying to promote his work? But you know what he said? They, they asked him how it was that he made it through and what it was like. He said, I quote, it was like a honeymoon with Jesus. You see, the presence of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit gave a deposit to that pastor laying there in solitary confinement. And heaven became a reality to him even there in the midst of the darkness of that prison. And if God can do it for somebody in prison locked up for their faith, He can do it for you here and now with all the privileges that you have of the Bible and of coming to worship together in a place like this. God is longing to do something special in these last days. He's longing to pour out His Holy Spirit like never before. Jesus is coming soon, my friends. And Jesus is looking for us to be wholly devoted. Will we allow Him to fill us with His Holy Spirit? There was a couple of missionaries, Moravian missionaries, who, if you know anything about the Moravians, they were people of prayer. They're known for one of the longest prayer meetings. Maybe we can look at that story sometime. It went on for about 100 years, this prayer meeting. They were prayerful people, and they had a mission to share the gospel with the world. And as the Moravian missionaries heard about what was going on in a specific island where a British slave owner was, their hearts were broken. There was an atheist slave owner on this island, He had two to 3,000 slaves on this island and he was determined that there would never come a missionary to his island. He said even if some British ship was shipwrecked and a Christian came onto his island, he would put him in a separate house, confine him away from his slaves until help could come and take him off the island. He was not about to let a missionary be on his island. Two young men heard the story about these 2,000 to 3,000 slaves who weren't going to be able to hear the gospel. And as they heard that, something stirred in them. I believe it was the Holy Spirit tugging on their hearts because when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, it doesn't just fill us with joy, but it fills us with love, which gives us compassion for those who don't have the experience of Jesus like we have. And as they're filled with the Holy Spirit, as they're learning about these two to 3,000 slaves, they said, we have to do something about it. We can't just sail to that island because he will reject us. We can't go there as free men. And you know what they decided to do? These two young men said, we will sell ourselves into slavery. We will let this man buy us. And now when you get sold as a slave, it's not for four years. It's not for 10 years. It's for the rest of your life. But these men said, for Jesus, it's worth it. So that people can hear the gospel, it's worth it. And as their ship sailed away from the port, their family was all there on on the shore waving goodbye. They had their arms interlocked. And one of the young men raised his hands and he cried out. He said, the lamb must receive his just reward. That's what it says in Hebrews chapter 12. It says that for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. For the joy of you and me being together in eternity. And friends, he calls you and I to take this gospel to the world through the power of the Holy Spirit. And in the process, he wants to fill you with more joy, more peace than you have ever experienced. He wants to give you a deposit of what heaven is like. He wants to give you something where on the sickbed with cancer, with pneumonia, when you're confined to prison, whatever may happen in your life, that you can say with the presence of Jesus, this is a precious place. But how small is that? Even though it is amazing, even though it's something we all long for, how small is that in comparison to that day? that soon coming day when Jesus will come. He's going to come back in the clouds of glory. He's going to come back to take home all of those who are trusting in Jesus. And he wants you and I to have a part in preparing as many people as possible. I want to be sealed so that that day comes and I'm ready to meet Jesus. How about you? What a day that will be. When we see Jesus, what a day that will be to see Jesus coming back in the clouds. What a day that will be. Every day the longing in my heart grows stronger for that beautiful day when we'll be together forever with Jesus, never to be separated again. But friends, you don't just have to look forward to it. You can have a deposit of heaven in your hearts now. Don't let the enemy sell you short of that. Ask every day to be sealed with the Holy Spirit, to be filled with the presence of Jesus, to have fellowship, because Jesus has told us that he's knocking at the door and he wants to come in and have sweet fellowship with us. If it's your desire to every day ask for God to baptize you, to fill you with the Holy Spirit, To prepare you for that soon coming day. The winds of strife are beginning to blow. The only way we're going to make it through that great tribulation is with Jesus in our hearts. It's only his strength that gets anybody to the sea of glass. If you want to be a part of that group, if you want to daily be filled with more of the Holy Spirit, to daily plead with God for the Holy Spirit, I want to invite you to stand with me as I pray. Father, we're standing before you, dreaming about that beautiful day that's coming soon when when we'll see Jesus face to face, never more to part, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears. We're dreaming of that day, and at the same time, God, we're asking that you would give us a foretaste of it now. That on my friends who are standing before you, you would pour out your Holy Spirit on us like we've never experienced before. God, we need more of your Holy Spirit. There is a dying world out there in desperate need of a revelation of Jesus' character of love. Father, you've promised us this gift. Help us to yield completely and totally to you and allow you to fill us with your Holy Spirit each and every moment, of each and every day. God bless my friends as they go out this week to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.